0: Hey everybody, welcome to this special live edition. I don't know if it's specially more, we've been doing since the beginning of Corona, but we're going to keep doing them. Also Uh Intelligence, Ben Pekulski, Ashley Van Houten, bringing you the best information in the world on how to live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Ash, it's been an interesting few weeks, hasn't it? I think it seems like the world is hopefully starting to open up. I don't know where everyone's listening to this, and, and hopefully if I'm speaking out of turn, I apologize, but it really feels like... You know, the powers that be are starting to acknowledge that maybe this it's time for us to start getting outside, being a little bit more active. Now, I will say this. They opened the beaches this weekend was the first weekend they opened and now they closed them again because people weren't they were, they were so busy. Everyone's like it looked like Fourth of July or it looked like like spring break, which is just crazy. And people need to acknowledge like, hey, guys, still take care of your stuff because it could I mean who wants to go back to that nonsense again. Right. But how are you doing?
1: I'm good. I mean, as you can maybe sort of see, there's like some sun coming into my window. So I'm almost Florida levels of, but not even close. But you know, the weather's starting to turn. I think that people are starting to kind of see, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit as far as this goes. But you're right. I mean, I think the biggest issue we have to deal with is not when are we going to come out of this? Because we all know we're coming out of it and we're, we're taking steps to do that now. It's how to like temper our excitement and enthusiasm and still show a little bit of common sense while we're out there kind of getting back to real life.
0: And I found myself guilty of it too, right? It's like, you're just like, oh, I can just go back to normal life and you have to be a little cautious of... And yeah. so I took my kids to Whole Foods on the weekend. It was the first time they have been at the grocery store in, in two months. And everyone else in the store was wearing a mask and they offered us someone on the way in and I was like, no, we're good. But I literally... Realized everyone was you know cutting holes through me with their with their looks. but again, i'm I'm of the belief, and I could be incorrect, but I'm of the belief that if you're if you're doing if you're checking all the boxes to cover health, then you should be great. And maybe we should go through that, right? What are all those boxes? And you know I wrote, I think I've I mentioned this a few times over the last few weeks. I wrote a document on on the the most essential habits to transform your body, and then that, that transitions into all the steps to start transforming your body, all the diet steps, all the training steps, all the mindset steps and, and so created this document. And you know, what are those boxes we want to start ticking to make sure we're healthy, right? And if that's uh, kind of where you want to kick off today, we can go there. If there's something else you wanted to do to kick off, I'll let you kind of take the reins.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of questions that have come in from Instagram. And again, people who are listening live can can ask your questions and we'll, we'll do that. I would like to talk about that. But first, just because I feel like we don't do enough small talk at the beginning. So I want to ask you first.
0: You're right. <laughs> I, so I was I was gonna ask you actually, I was gonna say, what did you have for breakfast this morning? We're both so, very
1: like, let's go do this. But like yeah. let's have a little bit of small talk first. Okay, I'll tell you about breakfast, but first I want you to tell us because just offline when we were when we first logged on, I heard you breathing <laughs> a little bit heavy. Yeah. And you <laughs> we're, were doing your HIT workout. So tell yeah. us
0: what you did. So Because I've been trying to spend more time outside, I've just been hammering it on my bike. So I have some some great roads where, you know, there's not going to be any traffic. So I'll like for like five minutes as fast, basically until my legs stop. And I've become really good about controlling my breath. So I realize my output like and I preach this all the time. So I'll keep a nasal breath pretty much for the whole duration. Like obviously when you stop, then you're going to start gassing. But I'm pretty good with keeping a very controlled nasal breath, even at what I would say is pre- not, I don't think it's max effort, but it's pretty damn hard. Like I'm i am flying and I'm able to keep a high amount of output up my muscles with a low about low amount of oxygen intake. It's fun. Like I, there's a point, I mean, I walked in, I actually got, got in about 10 minutes before we were supposed to start and I had to sit down because I was feeling dizzy. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the podcast. <laughs> got to slow down. But yeah, so it's just, I'll probably do, depending on time, four to five repeats. So I don't really have an objective as far as duration. I think that's where people go wrong, is I have an objective as far as what it feels like at the muscular level. And I think there's value and utility in creating standardized protocols. Like, hey, let's do four rounds of 20 seconds or four rounds of 30 seconds. But realize whatever you subject your body to, it'll adapt to. So if I want to do really short duration, 10 second output burst, it's going to adapt to that quickly. and You're going to have to change the stimulus. So for me, I'm just looking at longer duration right now, longer duration. Basically, I'm I'm trying to go as hard as I can for as long as I can and let's see how long that is. And then I know I won't be able to sustain that over multiple rounds, but my goal is to sustain that. So let's say I can get four rounds of doing, I don't know, three to five minutes. And that's probably a stretch, but somewhere in that range of of like going hard. Then I'm going to try to beat that next time. And that's my progression model. And then so maybe next week I'll go find a hill or maybe I'll go do a step mill or maybe I'll go do the wind gates or something at the gym and I'll I'll change up the model. So I'll do the same one for about a week, see if I can get my body to adapt really quickly. It's fun. Like I love being outside, man. Like being in the gym for cardio sucks. I don't understand why people get up in the morning and and go and do cardio on a treadmill. It doesn't make any sense to me. I've done it millions of times, but I hate it. So I'm just going to do find look for different modalities of, of, of being outside if it's running a hill if it's sprinting if it's cycling whatever i can do i can do it outside
1: how often are you doing hit style workouts these days
0: three times a week so I, I try to have a balance like i'll alternate between and i, I teach, teach this stuff in those documents i see stuff all the time in classes and in courses and such as like i think you know i call it the muscle intelligence trilogy and it may be someone else's trilogy too but it's strength and hypertrophy, which is like one pillar. And then one pillar is going to be mobility and stability. And the other one's going to be aerobic fitness. So you have kind of these three different types of training, right? So you got to train strength and strength and hypertrophy, mobility and stability, which for me is yoga. And then aerobic fitness, which is either high intensity, low intensity, some long duration. It's the morning walk. It's the, it's the high intensity bike rides. And sometimes it's just leisure. But there, there has to be a foundation of aerobic health in order to build muscle and people miss that, right? So, you know, this whole powerlifting community, this whole bodybuilding community, some of them have renounced cardio. And, you know, my, my dear friend, Charles Paul was really the one who perpetuated that. He's like, he's always so witty with the one-liners, you know, but he always had something to say about like, you shouldn't be doing cardio. Right. Like unless you're unless you're like your diet basically should be doing should be doing the, the fat burning. But I don't do cardio for fat burning. And that's the disconnect. Right. is I'm doing cardio so I can recover harder from my workouts or faster from my workouts, the workouts I know are the thing that's going to burn fat for me. Mm-hmm. If I get my workouts inconsistently. My body composition improves like like that because I understand how to train. I understand how to challenge muscles. It's not cardio that burns fat. I think people have that mistake. Like it does, but it's it's terrible. The reason we should be doing cardio both low intensity and high intensity is to push our aerobic threshold, our anaerobic threshold up. So we're increasing our VO2 max. So that's going to increase our heart rate variability and improve our body's ability to recover both between sets and between workouts. I think people just miss that like car- don't do cardio for fat burning if you're doing cardio for fat burning you're, it's dumb it, it's the most inefficient way of burning fat period mm-hmm. learn to train harder how do you learn to train harder you got to have better aerobic fu- uh, fitness and function so when you start a body transformation i don't suggest people start with cardio everyone starts a body transformation they go hey i'm gonna do cardio i'm gonna do two hours a day and eat no carbohydrates well great don't do cardio for the sake of doing cardio to burn fat you should be doing that all year round for aerobic yeah. fitness do it for, uh, like I said, do aerobic fitness. It's not fat burning per se.
1: Yeah. When you're doing your HIIT workouts, are you doing those fasted, or do you have something to eat?
0: I'm not attached, so the answer would be no. I'm not doing them fasted. Like if I if I give you a most effective principle, like you don't want to do it fasted because it is going to be more glycolytic. It is going to be more likely to to rip through glycogen and burn more muscle. But I, where I'm in my life, it's not about that. It's more like you said last time. It's more about finding a way to suffer every day
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. looking
0: for a way to intentionally like okay this really sucks good keep going but when i'm riding my bike my acid test is like am i gonna fall off am i gonna pass out if i'm not i fucking keep going like am, am i safe am i gonna get hit by a car obviously but yeah. if, if i feel start feeling dizzy then i'll slow down but other than that i'm, I'm trying to induce as much discomfort as possible and yeah. keep it there as long as possible and i'm intentionally looking for ways and i think people should play with this it's like if you're going for a morning walk ash i don't know if you do this but people are like, oh, walking's for old people. I'm like, okay, well, try this. Try holding your breath while you're walking, right? Or try doing a six, six box breath where it's six in, six hold, six out, six hold. Try that while you're walking and tell me if walking's for old people, right? It's a very different experience. And once you get it, once you're able to do it, it's a much more meditative experience, much more enjoyable experience. But the process of learning how to do it sucks. It's challenging. And you know, so try doing a 30-second breath hold. And then recovering within four breaths and do another 30 second breath hold and then recovering in four breaths and try to stuff like that. And tell me if it's easy and you'll notice your heart rates through the roof. You'll notice like, OK, well, now we just maybe potentially made this some more of a calorically demanding workout, certainly more glycolytic. So if, yeah. if you're someone who maybe, you know, you're going to have a cheat day tomorrow, well, we want to make it more glycolytic. So but let's obviously give our body an oxygen deficit therefore body will tend to burn through more glycogen whether Mm -hmm. or not you want to do that is up to you like that's just a way to to burn more glycogen if i know i'm going to go and have a piece of cake after or something right
1: right yeah i mean my i was thinking about you this weekend actually when i did my weekend suffer fest which i
0: always thinking Um, about me yeah
1: yeah you know a, a reasonable amount, a normal, not creepy amount.
0: Yeah, yeah usually, not... usually it's angry, You're like, damn it. And, you
1: know, you helped me with my meditation in more yeah. ways than <laughs> No, but this weekend, so my, my Suffer Fest this weekend was the, uh, I, it was actually inspired by one of your guests and one of my favorite coaches besides you, which is James Fitzgerald, you know. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that he does, he's in incredible shape, by the way. Like, you see the stuff that he does, it's so intelligently designed. And I mean, I don't know how old this guy is, he's not that old, but. He's older than us and he's in ridiculous shape and he just trains so intelligently. But he does a lot of this sort of like periodized stuff and like with the breath work and stuff like that. And anyway, one of the fun things that he's done before, I saw it and marked it and I did it this weekend, was this one hour step up test. So you find like two feet, whatever. So it's not just like it's a little bit tougher and you just do it for Is an hour.
0: book? Or did you like an audio book or did you go, no, no music?
1: Okay, so I'll be honest. I listened to a podcast. It would have been a much better test if there was no sound whatsoever. But what I did do to make it trickier, and I thought about you when I did this, was I did the nasal breathing. So Mm -hmm. it's very easy. This wasn't like, I wasn't, I was keeping a consistent pace. So I wasn't like going super fast. It was like a nice consistent pace for an hour. It really wasn't that difficult. I'm not sore. Like most of us have strong enough legs. We can actually do this. It's not as difficult as you'd think. It's more mentally difficult. But when I kept, you know, when I focused on keeping my mouth shut and breathing through my nose, it became a more interesting exercise. So let
0: me ask you this. Did you find that um, in the beginning it was hard because you felt like it was harder to get air, but was there a certain point where it kind of clicked and and it leveled out as far as the effort level or did it continue to, to stay hard?
1: You know, I gotta say, and maybe it's because I didn't push myself like movement wise, like I wasn't going quick enough because I was really trying to keep sustainable pace instead of like getting my heart rate up and then, you know, blowing myself out 20 minutes in, I didn't find it really that difficult. Like I definitely noticed that my heart rate went up when I shut my mouth, but it didn't get harder. It stayed about the same, but it was just difficult enough that I was thinking about it. Like I couldn't let my mind water wander. I was just like, okay, you got to breathe through, your, you know, breathe more controlled and breathe through your nose and don't open your mouth and like focus on where you're stepping. Mm-hmm. So it really ended up being a good exercise because it wasn't it didn't destroy me. It wasn't ridiculous, but it really made me stay sort of present in my head and think about my breathing, which was really kind of what I wanted to get out of it. So it was kind of, It was an interesting, uh, interesting... So that
0: that's kind of the next level. I've been thinking about this and I want to develop this into all the programs into the Muscle Intelligence Nation is this idea of what does is, what is the ascension toward mastery look like? So when if someone new comes into this world, what are the foundational things? So like an example being, if you're a personal trainer and somebody new walks into your gym, where do you start? What are the foundational things this person needs to know in the beginning? And then conversely, how do you take them on the ascension ladder? So, you know, like the way I see breathing, to be honest, I think it's something that should come in at the beginning and at the end. So the first thing I want everyone to learn is you got to learn how to nasal breathe. You got to learn to breathe in your diaphragm. And that's just like foundational. And let's implement that. But as you get into mastery and you get to maybe where I am or, or where my, my top coaches are, then breathing becomes even more important again, right? So it's important in the, during the process. But it comes a point now where I can go to levels that I've never been able to achieve before, because of my ability to control my mind and my breath. And I don't think that's something that you teach somebody who's like an intermediate. Like they don't even understand how to do the exercise. Their brain's looking for all these different ways to stop, and and you know they, they don't understand. They, can't, they haven't achieved mental mastery of the exercise yet. Whereas for someone at a higher level, you know Roger and Steve would be good examples. The guys who are who are here um, yes. listening. Great. You got the skill. Now we need to take that effort piece and really ramp it up. Like the skill becomes unconscious. So so I guess the acid test is once you've reached unconscious competence, I can do it without thinking about it. Now the, the piece is like, okay, well, now I got to learn how to turn the afterburners on. I got to put the pedal to the metal. So that's where this breathing piece becomes so huge. Man, I say this all the time, but I'm so, it sounds egocentric as fuck, but I'm saying anyways. so impressed by my ability to do work with people who I would think would otherwise kick my ass, but I do it and I don't even feel fatigued. And I'm like, man, I'm not really trained that that much. I'm not really training that hard. Like I do, but it, it's not like a, it's my only focus. So the point being, I'm getting so much more done with so much less effort time and, and ultimately, uh, Practice, I guess. So it's interesting to to realize what you're capable of when you learn what to look at and when you learn what to focus on. Mm-hmm. So this is probably my next pro- my next project. I guess I'm kind of building into the personal training certification inherently. But like, what are those foundational things you want people to optimize first? And th- there has to be a, an order of of importance. I guess it would be different for everybody, but you know, there's certainly like a hierarchy that I that I adhere to with myself and any other clients that come through. And that's really, I guess, what I'm building in the certification.
1: Speaking of next level athletes, I've noticed some pretty big deal celebs showing up at MI40 recently. Can you talk about some of these people who've been stopping through?
0: Who's been stopping through? Is it Steph Cut?
1: Steffi. um, and then who? Oh, I, said,
0: like, I said just Steph, like it was not. <laughs> it was not a big deal. Did, I didn't mean just. I mean, it's like the only person that's been through is Steph. I think was No, oh,
1: but wait, there's and I'm. It's awful that I cannot remember her name because she's a big deal woman in the fitness world. But she Aaron. just yeah, Aaron, Stern. Aaron, Stern, Aaron. Stern, yeah.
0: yeah. So Aaron's been training there for months. So she's probably my favorite female physique of all time. Like when she was in shape for the Olympia man. Even when she wasn't in shape. So we trained at the same gym for years when I was at Powerhouse. And I just look at her, and I'm just, like, the reason I like Erin most, mostly is I believe she's natural. I don't know if she is, but I believe she is. She says she is. And her body never changes. And I think that's just the mark of a, of a true athlete. And she looks like an athlete. Like when you watch her her sprint or do her hurdles or high jump, I'm like, man, you have the most perfect execution of everything. Like it's this, she's just amazing. She's an amazing athlete. So allowing her to train at my gym or, or is a privilege to me, right? Just to be able to watch what she does. And the way she's changed her body, Ash, I don't know if you've seen. She's she bo- one
1: of my favorites too. For the but snakes. she doesn't
0: post a lot. Let me tell you, like you're going to be blown away when you see her body. Like before, she w- she won Miss Figure Olympia mm-hmm. twice, and so she looked very figure esque. She looked like she should to win the Figure Olympia. Now it's a completely different body. She looks like a different person. She looks like a bikini Olympia. Which, mm-hmm. if you could picture those two bodies and how different they are, whereas the figure body is a little more muscular up top, a little bit more square, a little bit more solid. Now she's got this like really small, like itty, she always had any bitty waist, but it's even smaller, more narrow shoulders. And she's got she's developed this big booty. And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? We used to have this like sprinter's ass. She's got a booty. And I was like, Aaron, you, you're doing something really cool, man. Like people are going to love to hear about this. So, yeah, she's she's been in their training often working with one of our coaches, actually, which is really cool. Um, and she writes all over programs and stuff. But we're, we're helping just to or she, Chris is helping her to uh, improve some some little stuff she's doing.
1: I mean, I'm biased. I prefer a figure body personally, but I know what's popular right now and that's well,
0: You may you may like her body cuz she's this hybrid between like this this really aesthetic athletic body and like having a big booty, which is every man and woman's dream, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, I've always been attracted to what I think is a function. Like I like symmetry and yeah. I like visible muscle, but like, if it looks like you can't actually do anything with the muscle you have, I'm not super impressed by it. Mm So having, like you said, like that, she's actually somebody and I, I never, even when I was bodybuilding, I didn't look at a lot of different bodies because it was just pointless. And you just go down these rabbit holes where you're comparing yourself, whatever. But she was always somebody that I did appreciate because like you said, she was an athlete and she looked like it and coming from an athletic background into bodybuilding, Like I did, I just, I'm always going to appreciate functional fitness so yeah she looks
0: amazing and, and honestly just the effort right yeah. like the heavy deadlifts the heavy squats like to me that's what this is meant to be um the sport it's not meant to be like you know i'm not gonna throw it under the bus i've trained i don't broadcast this but i've trained a lot of the high high-end bikini pros and most of them don't even want to work out they're just like okay, oh, i just do cardio or can i just do weights in my garage and i'm like really I'm like fuck <laughs> some of them do and i'm not taking anything away from everybody but I'm surprised to hear how little they actually enjoy the working out. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to not eat ice cream this weekend and I'm going to get lean. And I'm like, okay. But to me, like I said, I, the reason I might, I mean, people always make fun of my arms for being small, but they're probably small because of genetics, but also my approach to training for the first five years of my life, I probably trained in arms twice in the first five years, like from 16 to 21, because it was just boring. Like it, was, it didn't hurt. So it, it wasn't something that, I enjoyed so literally. I, I had no attachment to the aesthetic of it. I had attachment to the challenge of it. Like if I if, if it was Saturday, I was like, hey, it's arm day on, the, on my program. I'm like, okay, is the squat rack free? Let's go squat. Let's go deadlift. That's just the way my brain worked. And I think Aaron works the same way. Like if you took away her ability to train, she, she would lose her passion for it. Like for me, going in and doing an arm day was just like, wow, why, why would I do that? Like I'll do arms as an afterthought. And I think it's the same. That's because of the passion I had for for the pushing of myself and self-discipline and, and doing things that are hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting when you hear people who do it more for the trophy rather than for the personal development. And again, I don't, I'm not going to place judgment. Everyone's on their own journey. Everyone's on their own path, but I think it's interesting. And I think hopefully the audience realizes that, I mean, seek challenges, right? This is kind of the, the core messaging of muscle intelligence is what you accomplish in the end is completely inconsequential. It's a fucking plastic trophy. Look, there's a seven dollar plastic trophy up there. I got a couple
1: over here too. I'll throw yeah.
0: seven dollar plastic trophy up there, and I've got a bunch of them. I also my give away or I give to my parents. It's, or you got a medal from the Olympia? Like it's a seven dollar medal that you can go on and have somebody make and make a much nicer one. It doesn't matter, right? At the end of the yeah. day, it, the thing that I got out of that was I became, you know, a stronger person. I developed discipline. I I overcame a lot of obstacles. And I think I hope everybody realizes that that's the core. Message, right, is, um, you know, and again, I actually don't think I've shared this with you, Ash. I'd love to kind of kind of touch on my my transition a little bit. And I had a kind of coming to Jesus over the last few weeks, being at home by my sp- myself. I spent a lot of time meditating, a lot of time just introspectively, like, you know, 12 hours a day by myself. So during my bodybuilding career, when, when MI40 really took off was because I just focused on teaching everyone in the world how to build muscle. And I was good at it. I loved it. And everyone could see that and they could feel it. And then, for probably three years, two and a half, maybe two years after retiring, I shifted my focus away. And I was like, "Hey, it's just about living your greatest life." And where I think I need to to land is is the marriage of those two, right? Like I love training. And I almost tried to like push it away and say, like I didn't like it, or I didn't want to do it anymore when i was and I was shifting away. And I think that's a big mistake, or at least I don't want to that's not what I want. Like I, I am the guy for intelligent muscle building. I am the guy for healthy muscle building. And I think the reason I renounced it is because I had so much stress around what it took for me to get there. Like the person I had to become was not someone I want to become anymore. And I had a conversation with one of my best friends in the world last week. Some of the things that I did during my career, I consciously, I'm not proud of, like I, I know what I did. and I never did anything bad, but I didn't, value people. Like I didn't value my my friendships and my relationships. All I valued was like going after this win or going after this workout or going after this this target. And like in, in any goal in life, right? You can choose to step on people along the way. And I don't know that I did that inherently. Like I don't think I intentionally hurt anybody. But it, I always said like and I've probably repeated this in the podcast like if you're not helping me, if you're not on my team, get the fuck out of my way because you're hindering me, right? You're either helping me or you're hindering me. And that was, that was a lot of people. And so this guy I had a conversation with, and he goes, man, like, so his impression of me at the time was, man, he's an asshole when he's training. And that last part is important to acknowledge because I took it to believe that it was a part of who I am, but it wasn't right. It's not a part of who I am. It's what I did to achieve the goal. So like, I kind of embodied it and took it inside of me and like made it, made it something I didn't like. I was like, oh man, I hated that. I had to become that way when in reality it was a gift that if i just learned to access it and i just learned to harness it and learned to to harness that focused obsession i can use that for good rather than trying to repress it and i think you know my transition out of bodybuilding was very much this repression of that person that that beast that lives inside and it's still there and it makes it, it comes up sometimes and i and i like it i love it but i tried to i tried to deny it right so I think that's a big part of my awareness over these last few weeks is this business is about teaching people how to build muscle. And I'm not going to renounce that. I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm going to still train hard. And I'm going to show you guys how to train hard because I think I have a very unique, and this is, again, egocentric, but I think I have a very unique opportunity that exists in my hands. Like there's, there's nobody in the world right now, and, and please correct me if I mean there may be a couple who are close, but nobody's at my level, who's trained as hard as I have. For as long as I have with the same amount of same amount of knowledge. So sure, there's people out there who are much smarter than me, and there's people out there who probably train much harder than me, but there's nobody who's got this this unique bridge. So the opportunity that I have within every single workout, and we spoke about this briefly last week, Ash, is everything I do has a has a level of thought that no one else in the world is capable of in the gym. So, you know, again, like I said, there's people out there who are much, much smarter than me and can think on this on a hugely deep level but they don't apply it or they can't apply it at the level. So they can't see immediately. Does that work? Or does that not work? Or what's the, where's the breaking point? And that's what allowed me to, to succeed as much as I did in bodybuilding was like, I pushed harder than everybody. So I could see, Hey, if I try this, that breaks, don't do that anymore. I try this, that breaks, you know, or this protocol works and that one doesn't. And, you know, they're doing all this research now on, I interviewed a researcher last week and They're doing all this research on like sedentary people and people who are, you know, quote unquote, trained athletes. And, to me, it's comical because it's not a trained athlete's not someone who trains three times a week and is is 19 years old. It, it just doesn't make sense. So, like I've kind of have this, this coming to Jesus to wrap up my monologue for the day about where I fit into this space and how I I don't ever want to stop muscle building. Cause my mission, guys, so everyone listening to this is to push the information around the world, right? To be the catalyst for intelligent muscle building around the world. That's the mission of muscle intelligence. So this isn't Ben's information, right? This is just simply correct. This is not subjective. Like biomechanics is the most objective thing that exists in exercise. Everything else is subjective. You know, biomechanics and phys- physics. So this is the type of stuff that I want to use my platform to spread around the world. So everyone listening, realize like if you're learning something, take it and share that message because everyone in the world who works out deserves to learn this message. And if they haven't, they just haven't, haven't had an opportunity yet. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um an interesting opportunity that we all have to create this community around Hey, let's empower each other to to be better, to be great and live into your true essence of purpose.
1: I love this conversation. And I have a couple of things that I want to add on to this. And I do have some training questions from some other people, but this yeah. is a bit, or esoteric, but I think you like that. So let's kind of get into it a bit. First of all, I agree that you absolutely have a very unique platform considering your experience and where you're moving into. And I think most people who are listening to this, they recognize that. And I think that it's good for people who are trying to build their own brand or are trying to get this what they think is the best information out there like you are, but are in a different place that we all have a unique perspective, right? Like yours might be very specifically conducive to helping this group that we're listening to, but everybody, but he has their own kind of, Personal experience that no one else can replicate, and being and you've talked about this a lot before, but being very clear on what that is and how you want to use it is what can help you be successful more than anything. But I really like that you're. First of all, you're obviously doing a lot of reflective work right now in this time. Like you said, you're you're alone a lot, and I think that that's really important because a lot of people are terrified to do that. Being by themselves or being in this sort of unsure kind of time in life is the time to do a lot of the self reflection, and we we're doing everything we can to distract ourselves because it's scary. But I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit more about how you think because now you are in a position of incredible influence and and success, really. Like you're still always working and, and growing, but I mean you've you've really reached a point that a lot of people haven't. And you're looking back and reflecting and thinking, not maybe not everything that I did to get here was stuff that was awesome. Not necessarily unethical or bad or immoral, whatever, but you've recognized that there were some things that maybe weren't reflective of how you truly are how you feel how do people grow and get to a level of success without i just feel like we have this this perspective i
0: I love you you know you're reading my mind this is i I wrote down three things that i want to talk about today this is one of them so sometimes people like to again this may go down two separate paths but let's start here I I wanted to create a story around who I want to be or who I don't want to be, and I wanted to renounce things. And I think that's fine. The point we'll, we'll kind of transition with is, I became who I needed to become to survive, to thrive, to achieve my goal, and that's really, really important. And that's literally the point that I, one of the three that I want to drop, drop, drop with here is like. So the word I have written down is there is forgiveness. So. I've spoken about this pretty transparently apparently before my dad and I didn't have a great relationship growing up. I, I wrote down a long list of things that didn't meet my personal expectations as a child as to what a dad should be. Right? So I, cr- I started off with this list and I go, what are all the things that he, I, I feel he did to me. And I'm going to use those, choose those words intentionally. I feel he did to me or maybe didn't do for me. And now that I feel is a big important part. So if we look at that objectively, or maybe subjectively, you realize that he throughout his life, let's say he had me at 22. He was very young. say so he had, had me at 22 to that point in his life, everything he had done, everything, no matter what it was, was absolutely necessary for him to survive and thrive. So he became the exact person he needed to become to exist and, and thrive in this world. No, nothing more, nothing less, right? He, he became the exact person he needed to, to survive and thrive. Therefore, he showed up with the best he could for me, right? Based on his previous circumstances, all he did was the best he could, right? And did he meet my childhood expectations of what a ch- what a dad should be or what I personally needed in that time? No, but he did his best. So if, if I can learn to look at all the amazing things that I got from this. So, and again, we're just shifting this anger and fear and resentment to gratitude and love. Right. So I can look at all those things that we did or we didn't do or or the times he didn't show up or the things he said or all of them as him using the best skills he was able to at that point and be appreciative for what they did for me. And you just literally start to the, the gray clouds start to open up and, and just for, at first it's just a little glimpse of sun that comes through. But if you do it every day, eventually all those negative thoughts and associations almost like seem to fade away and and seesaw tips in favor of love and gratitude, right? And I think that's an important thing for people to, to, to kind of come back to your question, Ash, for people to start changing their life, for people to start shifting toward having a life that's blue skies of gratitude and love. It starts with forgiveness, both for yourself, like I'm working on now, and for those other people that you believe have harmed you, hurt you, Um, didn't show up for you, whatever that is. And I think that awareness is like, man. So at that point in my life, when I was a bodybuilder, I did exactly what I was able to do and what I needed to do to to achieve my goal and to survive and thrive. That's it. Uh, Nothing more, nothing less. Had I not done what I did, I probably would not be the same man I am today. Right? So whether or not you're happy with it or sad about it, 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 that's subjective. It's just, it is what it is. So accept it, say, fuck, I got through, I'm alive, I'm here, I've learned, and now I'm going to get better. So it's all just, a, I'm just aiming for it to be plus one, right? Now I can get better. I know what I don't want. I know maybe I, maybe I, maybe I don't know what I want, but I certainly know what I don't want. Mm-hmm. And I can move away from that. And I think for everyone to take a shift or start take, making a shift in their life, it comes back to that like acceptance of all the things you've done and realize, like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Drugs, fine. Sex, fine. Anger, fine. Emotions, fine. Like all those things are, they're just what they are. They're a decision you made to get through, to have an experience that got you to here. So this is ground zero. And now it's all up from here, right? Or if I keep hanging on to that shit, it's ground zero and it's all down from here. Fuck that. Or it's even, even if it's level, like I have to accept those things, smile, say thank you, breathe them out, breathe in love and gratitude. Say, all right, now I can take on this world with all those skills that I've developed because I'm not, I'm still the same person that I took to get there, but I can pick and choose where they come out rather than thinking they're part of who I am. Yeah. Right. It's not who I am. It's what I did. And I think that's an important message. So that was a perfect, it's like you you tossed that one up to me.
1: No, but I mean, it was very, I mean, when you were saying it, when you were speaking, this was something that was really coming up with me too, because as, again, as we're all trying to grow and as we're all trying to accept things and we're all alone with our thoughts more and thinking about, you know, your brain inevitably goes to negative stuff and mistakes and things you could have done or should have done or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important what you're saying that it's again from a pragmatic perspective. It's about acceptance because none of us are flawless. None of us have never made a mistake. And so, just to dwell in that mistake or to think that that makes us a bad person or to think that it's irreversible or we can't get better, that all you're doing is wasting your own time, right? Yeah. When you're using it as a lesson
0: and, and moving forward, right? You're, it's like you're in a holding pattern, right? You're just you're just dwelling it and dwelling it and dwelling it. Fuck that, take off.
1: Yeah. So
0: there, there's three words. Sorry, I shouldn't cuss. There's three words we
1: well, we'll that, then. Come on. Yeah. Sometimes my F-
0: kids F- listen though, okay. and I found that out after the fact, and I was like, "Darn, I have to stop doing that." So, three words that I wanted to come up with in this podcast, and the first one is forgiveness, which I talked about. The second one was friends, and the third one is fat. So, three Fs, and I intentionally came up with, uh, come up with those, so that, that can be the title of the podcast if you want. To. Yeah, three
1: so, of my favorite things. That's
0: okay. So, friends. Why does that matter? So, I had an interesting conversation this week about something that I intuitively or that I know, but I haven't been, hasn't been part of my awareness for a long time. So another gift that came from my dad is I kind of, this is, you're going to get this. This is a blessing and a curse. Throughout my career, I was ruthless with the people that I surrounded myself with. Meaning either you're holding yourself to the highest standard imaginable or I'm out. Like if we're not keeping each other at our greatest, I'm out. Like if you're doing anything that's below, again, this is my expectation. So this sounds egocentric again. This is me in my twenties. Like if you're doing something that's, that's like maybe below acceptable level for me. And I'll give you two examples. My parents, I just didn't talk to you. Like I just removed you from my life. And I just kept like, forget it. That's holding me back. I don't want those anchors holding me back. I'm gonna keep going. And I did that for a long time. So it's very common. And you'll get this once I get into it. It's very common that if you are, Trying to change your life, the people you surround yourself with will do their damnedest to hold you back. Like, hey, what? Look, Ashley's trying to eat healthy now, or hey, look, Ashley's trying to go work out, and I look at her, she's all big and strong. My parents did that for the first ten years. Like, oh, look, what the hell are you doing this bodybuilding crap? Why don't you just come do this with with us? It wasn't until I handed my mom my first magazine cover that she accepted bodybuilding. In any way, she would always ridicule it, hated it, talk shit about it. Why are you doing this crap? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. And then all of a sudden it switches from that to like, oh, this is my son. We're proud, right? And I and I resent that. So I was always very much like, well, fuck it. Like I'll do it myself. So I think there's an important acknowledgement to be made there. And and I don't know that I I have the correct steps to approach it. But it's important to acknowledge people right now. Someone is trying to change their life for the better, and it may be their spouse, it may be their parents, it may be their friends, it may be their siblings, may just be their community is definitively holding them back because one of our deepest fears is fear of being ostracized, right? Fear of being pushed out of the group. That's one of our innate inborn fears. So if you don't acknowledge that in yourself, you're missing, you're gonna miss the boat. Like most people, you have to acknowledge that that's very normal. It's very normal for, for you to feel like, I don't want these people to not love me anymore. Like One of our, our human needs is like the need for love and acceptance into the tribe. Mm-hmm. So in order to leave that tribe is maybe one of the hardest things ever. So I wanted to acknowledge one of the missions of this community we're building, Ash, is like, I want this community to be the people who are going to support you in that mission. So I don't know if you like everyone listening to the podcast may not be part of the most intelligent community, but I'm ruthless with people in there. If they make one bad comment, ruthless, you're gone. You make one bad comment, you're fucking out. Like, I don't even flinch. You post bullshit, you're out. I have no tolerance. So because I only want a community of people that are lifting each other up, supporting each other. Because we're all going through shitty times, whether it be today or in three months, we're all going to experience winter time, and we're all going to experience summer. So, if you right now in your life are going through summer, support someone who's going through winter, right? Support them, and be like, "Hey, you know why? Because I know at some point it's going to come back. I know at some point I'm going to be going through a hard time, and someone's going to turn around and help me." Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that that community we're building with Muscle Intelligence is so much more important than I've ever acknowledged Mm -hmm. for assisting people and supporting people in getting through all challenging times, whether it just be trying to leave your tribe and do something healthy and great for yourself, where everyone else wants to go eat fucking donuts. Like that's an important acknowledgement. You have a tribe of like-minded, motivated, happy people leading, leading with love, coming at the world with love and trying to be strong and we're leaders. right? And I think that that acknowledgement as we continue to build this community is very important. And I hope all the listeners can relate and ultimately want to help. And it doesn't have to be even in our community, it's just in life. If you see someone going through winter and you're in summer, don't smile and rub it in their face. Fucking pick them up, man. Pick them up and bring them with you, right? Because that's what's going to make this world a better place. And that's, I think, what we all need to do, hopefully.
1: On this question of friends and forgiveness um, and what you're speaking about, I wonder if you can kind of talk a little bit about the balance between doing what you just said, which is supporting people that you care about, that you know are in a tough place, even if they are manifesting that in a way that's tough for us to handle, right? The difference between that and cutting toxic people out of your life, because sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, right? Uh, Yeah. There's a line. There's a line where it's like, look, I'm supporting you as a friend and I know you're going through something versus you are you are really negatively impacting my life and I can't do yeah. it. Anymore.
0: So I'll I'll tell you for me, it's very black and white Ash. Either you're a victim or you're not. That's it. So if someone is a victim in their own mind, they're just a victim and you're not going to change that. They have to change it themselves. If someone's not a victim and they, they're empowering themselves and they can do things, they can take action, those are the types of people that I will support to the end. Because sometimes we just go through hard times. So we're just like, fuck, I made a mistake. Or maybe it's some unconscious programming we keep running into. But at least we know we can change, right? We keep taking forward progress. We keep taking action steps. Those are the people that I support. If you're a victim, you go like, oh, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It's my circumstance. Oh, my God. It's these people are treating me so poorly. I fucking run the other direction. I hate people who don't take ownership for their life. Sorry, hate's not a correct word. I hate being around.
1: again. Sorry, kids. I know, I
0: know, I know. I'm passionate about stuff. My, yeah. my, I, yeah. I don't hate people that are victims. I hate at people that choose to act. No, that's not. That's not correct when people- I hate when people choose to act like victims, you know, they take take on that attitude of, of victimness, victimhood. Mm-hmm. And I don't support it because I realize it's thankless yeah. and sometimes can be dangerous.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really, really good tangible way to look at this because I was thinking that it's it's really murky, like you don't know when to help and when to give up, but that's actually a really, really good approach because I've had people in my life like that. I've had people in my life who were undergoing incredible... Awful circumstances, but do not see themselves as victims. And so there's always that, like, okay, what's next? And how can we help? And how can we do it? And that forward progression that makes you feel like they're helping themselves, like you can help them, like there's you know a next step. But the people who just kind of always look at it like this is being done to me and there's nothing I can do. I mean, right. how are you help people like that?
0: Right? Well, and a good example is is like people come to me all the time and they go, Oh, Ben, will you will you mentor me? And the answer is maybe. Like, I think if someone had come to me when I was younger and said, hey. I'll mentor you. Here's the steps. I would have done it to the T, but nobody's ever like whatever the steps to whatever, right? The steps to being Mr. Olympia, the steps to being a great business owner, the steps to being a great dad. I would have followed exactly what they said to the T if I believe them, obviously. So I guess the first step is, well, I have to t- trust and believe this person. But the second step is like, are you willing to do what it takes? And, and some people just, maybe they're, trained, they're coming into a new life. Maybe they're coming into just building their body for the first time. And you have to find someone who you know and trust and just follow what they say. Like this person's exactly who I want to to become or they know exactly what I want to become, follow what they say. And for some people like come and that's always kind of part of the interview process is like, are you somebody who just takes complete ownership for your life? Or is there is it I'm always looking for things that are like, oh, yeah, it was a bad time or, or that government or or like any type of like comments like, that are putting any of the ownership outside of themselves. I'm out. Like, I know you won't follow through. Everything, the world around you is going to crumble. And you're saying, they're like, oh, I'm perfect. It was everything else around me that was messed up. And you're like, oh, boy. So again, that the idea is like, are, would they be a great mentorship candidate? Like, if I took this person, I said, hey, come here, kid. I'm going to teach you exactly how to do this. Would they follow through? And if they wouldn't, get out, right? And again, very subjective because some people are good at pulling the wool over your eyes. But no, it, that's maybe really- an objective measure. Now, the final one I want to touch on because we you know, we still got time. But it's fat. Yep. So it should, the word beliefs would have be, been more accurate here, but fat fits because it's the three F's and fat. And the reason it's fat is because again, I had a conversation with someone in the last week sometime and they said, Ben, how did you get to 4% body fat? That must've been so hard. And I thought about that and I said, No it wasn't hard at all, actually. It was just as easy as maintaining the 12 to 15% that I maintain now, probably, well, I call it 10 to 15%. It's like, what? Yeah, it was, it was no different. It was exactly the same. And that they, well, I don't understand. Well, what's the difference? What's the habits? So for the number of years that I was a professional bodybuilder, to walk around and be lean all the time, wasn't challenging for me. It wasn't, a, it wasn't even a matter of if I could get there. It was just like, I went from this set of habits to that set of habits, right? So in the off season, I had a set of habits that was very objectively moving toward like, okay, I want to add muscle. I want to have enough calories. I want to have abundance. I want to grow. And then it was just a flip that went to these habits of like, Hey, now I need to get shredded. I need to lose weight. And, and I knew exactly how to do it. It wasn't a matter of, it was hard. It was just different. Right. And I think I've heard I've heard wealthy people maybe say this before, is the difference between making 50,000 and 5 million is not effort, it's just what you're focusing on. And I think that's so powerful for people to realize. So if you're having a hard time, and you're walking at 20% body fat now, or you're walking at whatever unhappy body fat you're at, it's not, it's, uh, the point of this is change that belief from thinking that it's hard, because it's not hard. It's yeah. It's honestly not hard. You know, there's certainly going to be struggles along the way, but maintaining four to six percent body fat itself or even getting there in in itself is not hard, right? Learning the habits, implementing the habits, breaking the old habits, that's hard. But the actual getting there itself intuitively, if you just were to forget everything you think you knew and all those beliefs that you have and all those habits that you have now, and you just took action on these probably five to 10 action steps every day, within no time, you'd be six percent body fat. It's not challenging, right? It's No, maybe it is challenging, but it's so simple. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. And I think people just give so much credit or, or they put it on this pedestal of like, oh, that person makes $10 million a year. Or, oh, that person walks around 6% body fat. They're no different than you. They're no better. They're not even working any harder. They're just doing things differently. They're taking action on the right habits and they're taking the right steps. They've prioritized the right things. They have the right values and the right order for that goal. Right now, your values and your beliefs are exactly what you need to look the way you do in your life, right? So if we want to change, if we want to change the way we look, if we want to change the way our bank account looks, you have to change what you value and what you believe and then ultimately your habits. So uh, that's important for people to realize. So those three, forgiveness, friends, and fat, which is ultimately beliefs. Challenge your beliefs, create the habits, and realize that being fat is not not hard or being lean is not hard. Uh, It's honestly equally as, as hard for me right now to maintain 12% versus 4% all the time.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And it's just because I focus on different things.
1: Yeah, I love that. I don't think that can be said enough, honestly. I think you say that in different ways in different podcasts, but I really don't think it can be said enough that it's about priorities and perspective. And once you change your perspective of what is difficult or what is unpleasant or what is out of your control, I think that everything changes. I've
0: said about muscle before, for sure. Everyone thinks muscle building is hard. I'm like, it's not hard. You're just doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Like come spend three months with me and you'll know, like you spend three days. <laughs> it will yeah. completely changed what you do. And that again, it sounds arrogant, but it's just, yeah. no, that's just what I do. Like I've done it for a long time and I'm, I'm kind of good at it.
1: I thought for fat, you were going to talk about that a video you posted on Instagram where you literally poured a bowl of olive oil onto your beef. <laughs> <laughs> I made it. People are like, what's this guy? He's, you're not joking. You're not joking when you say you basically drink olive oil. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. I was, mm-hmm. I was not so I
0: have a goal, right? I didn't. I don't know if I, I've ever expressed this goal on the podcast, but so when I did my organic acid test, so the organic acid test is one of the ones I advocate for people, kind of seeing all the metabolites that exist in your body. So looking at the metabolic pathways and which ones are labored and which ones are supported, so you can see um, rather than just like guessing as to hey, what vitamin should I be taking, you can actually get a snapshot of the metabolic pathways. So what they'll basically do is they'll measure all the metabolites within this pathway. And based on the ratios and the amounts, they can kind of tell where the bottleneck is in that pathway. So one thing I did, I think it was in July last year, was I did an organic acid test and I saw my composition of my fat. So like my um, phospholipid bilayer of the cell, every cell has a a cellular composition. So it's made of all these different fatty acids and they're in different ratios. So they actually give you the ratios of fatty acids. So it's interesting. So what I'm doing is basically only consuming olive oil. Well, So whatever fat comes from meat, which would be no different than it was in the past because I'm eating a relatively same amount of meat as I did in the past. And I've shifted my primary fat source to olive oil. It's probably 80% of my fat calories. And I'm doing it for six months. And I want to see how much that shifts my phospholipid bilayer, so that, the composition of my cell. And the next extension of that is if it does shift it, do I see any benefit? So do I see less inflammation? Do I see better insulin sensitivity? Do I see things that are reported to be beneficial or, or side effects of olive oil, right? So we say this oleic acid is very beneficial. So I'm, I'm effectively trying to put my money where my mouth is. As so much as I love olive oil, and there's tons of research now that says it's by far the best oil for us to consume, olive oil, avocado, maybe macadamias, walnuts, those are kind of your primary it seems. It seems because again, there's going to be something that comes out soon. That says something else is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else is different. But I want to see. You know, based on all of those markers, one first can I shift it, or is it all like in six months of the amount of olive oil I should be? I'm consuming should <laughs> shift. Uh, and if it doesn't, what? Why? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And if it does shift, what benefit do I see? So I'm I'm going to do that in July when I go back and do my blood again.
1: That's really interesting. Okay, we have to keep uh, notes that you talk about on the podcast because that will be fascinating. To well, see. when I do
0: the test, I will. So Dr. Esposito, I'm going to get him to – he's the best. Oh. I'm going to get him to do my mm-hmm. labs. So Dr. yeah, Doctor Esposito in New York is just the best. Yeah. I think he, he's oh. just such a wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. And when, he, when you find someone who actually cares, who actually researches more than most – That's what you need in a doctor. So Dr. Ralph has Brazil giving you a shout out. And anybody wants a great doctor in New York, I don't even know if he's got space for people.
1: I don't think he's actually taking clients because every time I talk to him, I ask that. He's mostly doing like research, but he is somebody that's very accessible online if you want to ask him questions and he's posting. For now.
0: Until until his career blows up and he changes the fitness industry. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So can I ask you a question about? That has come up actually a lot many times and I've never gotten around to asking because we like to go on different tangents, but this has come up a couple of times. So an individual is asking about training after Hernia surgery, and I, as far as I can tell, every man in the world has had a hernia. So I think this is actually a pretty applicable question. But and I don't know if this is something you've you've personally dealt with, but they're saying like I'm assuming these are kind of like bodybuilder, larger meathead guys who want to go back into the gym and lift heavy and are figure, wondering how they do that after. A hernia. I wonder
0: if we offend people with how much we throw around the word meathead. So I listened it's to our last. Okay. I, I, I know I listened to our last podcast and I just dropped in and I was like, "How you doing, meathead?" you were wearing the meathead shirt so and people who aren't watching us live don't know that right
1: obviously i'm proud of that term so you know anyway
0: but i think we might offend people sorry so uh how to train after hernia yeah you know it is common i did have one but so i I had a umbilical hernia so above my belly button and there's an inguinal which is down by your groin very different very very different recovery protocols so for me Honestly, I was doing sit-ups in the bed, like as I was coming out of anesthetic, like no issue whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with an inguinal though, which is what most people are getting. So mine was, I mean, I did it when I was 18 years old and I was doing overhead shoulder presses and I felt it tear. I was just doing heavy, maybe 19 heavy, stupid presses over my head and I literally felt it tear. And then I felt I was going to throw up. It was terrible. But most guys are getting inguinals, which is just usually due to weak abdominals because of overeating. So when the abdominal wall stretches and it stays stretched like that, because you're overeating so much, it becomes weak. And um, that's very, very common to bodybuilders for that reason. So honestly, recovery is important. And the way you do it is important because it's so common that it recurs. And, and so they'll give you a really conservative recovery protocol. They're like, hey, you got to take it easy. You got to like, so I think they told me three months, no training. And I was literally doing like squats and lunges in the hallway and like, Doctors were pissed, but I'm like, listen, I know what my body can handle. That shit didn't hurt me. And also because it had been so many years where it had effectively healed, you know. Like I just went in for an aesthetic reason because I didn't want the fucking hurt you popping out anymore.
1: So what exactly did they do for years though? Like, was it some kind of like mesh thing? did they just like pop it back no. in? Yeah, they popped it
0: and stitched it. So I didn't want to put mesh because I knew that would just dis- disrupt my aesthetic for stage. Mm-hmm. The, this the scar disrupted my aesthetic for stage, anyways. The guy did an incredible job. It looks like he took a razor blade and, like, it's like a razor blade line that's probably two inches long and nothing else. And it was, it was amazing. And uh, a huge shout out to the surgeon. I went to Schuldice in Canada. It's in like Northern Toronto. Uh, it was amazing. No complaints about that. But uh, if I would have got meshed, my career would have been over. So, uh, that point being, very different experience for me than everybody else. And it's very important that you go very, very slowly with your recovery. But I think the biggest thing for recovery in that, the start of it is breathing, right? Can you create, it's funny, I always get back to that, but can you create an intentionally expanded diaphragmatic breath to where your abdominal is actually expanding, your, di- your abdominal is actually constricting based on that breath pattern. And like, that would be like step one, you're two days out from the hospital or in the hospital doing that. And then it's progressing to, okay, can I do some isometric contractions? Like, can I just hold and brace, right? And then progressing to an eccentric load. So like a slow, like lengthening of your, your abdominals and then going into maybe doing some rotational stuff like it's it's probably going to be case by case but i would not take that one lightly because like i'm the one like i said i was doing sit-ups in bed and i'm the one to if, if i can i'm going to push the envelope i wouldn't take that one lightly because it will happen again if you, if you don't get a proper recovery because the, the abdominal wall at that point is, is compromised yeah so i'd be super aware of it super aware of it
1: So is it fair to say, like, because it just seems like in my experience, like every dude I know who like lifts even has had some form, either minor or severe of a hernia. Is there a way to kind of train in general? Is it just like, you know, having control over your breath and having a strong core, like ways to kind of stop this from continually happening?
0: I don't know the answer, Ash, but if I was to speculate, I would say it's likely to do with positional weakness. So the same reason every muscle tears, right? As you're weak in one position, you put too much load on it there and it pops through. It's just literally the muscle popping through the fascia, right? So it's just a muscle tear, just like any other muscle. So it's weakness at some point, right? And so getting strong in positions of weakness, I think the biggest thing that's missing, and this is again, just my maybe best guess is I hope I hope anyone who's out there listening to personal trainer acknowledges this The, the biggest thing that we do wrong in the fitness industry is we train in one single plane and and we train in this like linear motion and humans don't move in linear motion usually right there's there's some degree of rotation so you get really really good in this you know moving in one direction single plane and nobody ever does anything in the rotational plane and I think that's the foundation of all injuries. So that's why walking is such an uh, important part of what I advocate is because there is that rotational component of the spine that needs to be included and emphasized. Um, you know, walking should be like, and when I teach people to walk, it's literally like your arms are swinging, your shoulders are, are moving. There should be this rotational thing happening and it should be a very tall position, right? Cause the thoracic spine tends to round. And if it rounds the rotations happening at, at the lower and lo- thoracic and lumbar, mm-hmm. and then you gonna get lower back pain. So um, you know, how you walk matters too. But yeah, so getting that rotational piece in there, I think, is why these things happen.
1: Okay. It's very helpful. All right, let's answer a question from the guys who are listening because should do that. So all right, so this one's from Leandro. I have a question regarding REM sleep, REM sleep. I recently brought an aura ring and I'm getting over two hours of deep sleep, but my REM sleep is falling short at just less than an hour. What are some steps I can take to optimize REM? And you have some nice things to say for us. So what do we do?
0: So I honestly learning how to improve deep and REM segmentally, I don't think anybody's doing a very good job of it. There's been some suggestions that say like, you know, blood sugar, there's been some suggestions that say the things that are going to be necessary to support or like the GABA pathways. And I'll give you my protocol, Leandro. But the reason I kind of, hesitate a little bit is because it seems to be the same protocol for deep and REM. I don't know that I've ever found anybody that can differentiate. Although that lady Tara comes to mind as having said one thing, and I think she said temperature, and I don't want to misquote her, but I believe she said temperature was the big difference maker as to why people would sometimes lose REM sleep. So I don't know where you are in the world, but if if it maybe gets warm in the middle of the night, try that. Try dropping your temperature down. I know light is a big influence. So if you're having any light in the middle of the night and also circadian rhythms. So What are you doing in the morning to set your circadian clock to wake up? What are you doing in the evening to start coming down? Just the simplest intuitive thing is match the sunshine, right? What does the sun do? If it's coming up, I'm coming up and I'm going hard. If the sun's coming down, I'm slowing down. I'm turning off the blue light. I'm turning off all the the bright lights. But the supplement stuff that I advocate pretty much across the board seems to work pretty ubiquitously is maybe the biggest culprit. I'm not the biggest fan of melatonin, although I I do use it sporadically, mostly as an antioxidant. I think is very useful. So melatonin is kind of on, on the outside. I don't really put, include that all that much. But the primary things I'm going to use, I'm going to use high-dose taurine. I really like high-dose taurine. So for me, I don't know how big you are, Leander. You don't look like you're that, like you uh, certainly under 200 pounds, I think. Maybe three to four grams. Whereas when I was at my biggest, I was probably at five grams. And I found a huge benefit to that, really allowing me to sleep through the night and have very just calm, calm feeling overall, feeling tone in my body. So three to five grams of taurine, no negative effects of taking too much taurine, you'll be fine. You can take that right before bed. L-theanine, I think is like this amazing, amazing thing that exists. Now, I'd like to acknowledge anytime I make a suggestion with any supplements, you don't have an L-theanine deficiency. You're not taking L-theanine to, as an ongoing perpetual solution. It's a short-term band-aid. The big goal, the bigger target should be, I'm going to fix the cause, right? So if you have to take altheanine every day, or if you take, like Turing would be something you could probably take every day and I'll explain the, the difference. But to me, altheanine is more of a, I'm stressed. I have anxiety. Or I'm feeling like I have anxiety. I'm going to take this thing. I'm feeling anxious. I'm going to take this thing. I know it's going to calm me down. It's one of these, these like tools you want to have in your tool belt. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, supporting the GABA pathway, I don't think is going to have any negative negative effects. That's what taurine does. Taurine is this amino acid that can support the production of GABA, or at least the conversion of glutamate into GABA in your brain. So the main things that are going to do that are going to be taurine. And my other one is phenibut, which is spelled with a P-H, P-H-E-N-I-B-U-T. And phenibut is amazing, but very acute. It doesn't work ongoing. So you, you will habituate very quickly. So I like to do it for like two, three days and stop, two, three days and stop. So I'll do three, two, three days and then I'll take a couple of weeks off and two, three days and do it, take a week off. So only in those times when you know you're going to need sleep. And I'll tell you the best time that I do it is when I'm traveling. Like I'm traveling, I may even do it for a week at a time just to kind of reset my circadian clocks and to get my. So the basic understanding of it is glutamate is your is your excitatory neurotransmitter. And there's an enzyme called the GAD enzyme, GAD, that converts it into GABA. And some people have this this deficit in the GAD enzyme, which can be genetic, which is actually why your brain keeps racing at night. So you have way too much glutamate, which is a blessing in your life. But also when you can't sleep at night, it's this exact enzyme. And if you looked at your DNA, which I haven't, I would suspect highly that you have a GAD mutation where it's not producing a huge amount of this GAD enzyme. So you're lacking the conversion into GABA. So if you support that pathway... In most cases, it will help. So that typically is the way I would approach all sleep, Lander.
1: That's very helpful. And I, I would definitely confirm that I have some mutations somewhere along the line. Um, only in had, the
0: bicep gene.
1: <laughs> we've had some good Phenibet conversations offline, though, because I, I have really noticed. I mean, that is definitely one of my issues. Like When I do things that support the GABA pathway, it is like night and day different you you need a bunch of other
0: stuff too like you need b6 you need a bunch of other things so like it's not just that one ingredient but Mm -hmm. if someone's got bad enough sleep like hire somebody to help you because there's really simple stuff but it's so individualized yeah so like those those are the two or three things i don't mind giving ubiquitously but it's so individualized that uh, like everyone's different. No, I wake up at one o'clock in the morning, so everyone goes, "Oh, you need to take this." Like, no, man. Like, it, it, it's so maybe different.
1: you're you drinking. You're drinking too much when you get up and pee. Like, it could, yeah. there's yeah, there's a lot of different things. Okay, right. before I let you go, we have one more question from a Facebook user. So let's talk about this. People are like really into this aura ring thing. People are using it a lot and asking me questions. This one. Yeah. So he's wondering what your, or he or she is wondering what your resting heart rate is. I bought an aura ring a month ago. I do resistance training almost every day and consider myself physically healthy. My resting heart rate is 36. We don't I know. probably Josh.
0: I, I know it, Josh has the same question in the group. Uh, mine, I think was like 42, maybe like, it's not much higher than that. You know, I don't think I've ever been in the thirties, maybe like 38 once or twice, but for a guy who's you know, 260, 265 pounds, it's low. And so I'm guessing you're not as big as me. So to be 36, would be very normal. I mean, Aaron Stern was just telling me last week, hers is in the 20s. And that's, that's insane, right?
1: Especially for women, too, because I feel like our heart rate generally, we're smaller and we've got kind of a little bit more hummingbird situation. Like our heart rates tend to be a little bit higher than men. just past Yeah.
0: Past yeah, it's crazy. So it's very, very low. But again, I don't think it's wrong. Like as long as you don't have congenital heart stuff. So that's the subjectivity of it, right? I don't want to ever say that it's it's okay. But if you have a congenital heart thing, sometimes a slow heartbeat can be a bad thing, but typically just indicative of a very strong parasympathetic immune system, a very strong vagus vagal tone. So your vagus nervous system is kind of what it's the breaks. It's slowing down that heart rate, right? Again, I don't know if this is Josh, but it's maybe Josh, because I know he asked this question last week. See if you can correlate your resting respiration rate. So where's your, your number of times you're breathing a minute? Let's see where that is. And if it's high and the heart rate is low, maybe there's a disconnect there. But typically, if your resting respiration rate is low, or, or sorry, your heart rate, resting heart rate is low, your resting respiration rate will be also be lower. That could be an overgeneralization, but typically you'll see that.
1: And is I mean, is this something that we really should be like, is this kind of like a tweaking kind of thing that we should look at? Or is this like one of the first things we should look at? I mean, heart we- rate. Yeah, like should people be really kind of checking this on like a daily or weekly basis, or is it like if you feel pretty good and you're pretty healthy, like you don't really need to be watching this too closely?
0: Well, obviously, the more your heart beats, potentially, again, this is an overgeneralization, the more you're driving that sympathetic nervous system. Right. right? So, I would suggest it may be useful to decrease it as far as being more parasympathetic all the time. But Mm -hmm. I will acknowledge that a lot of it's genetic. Ash, like I can say. Pretty confidently your harassing heart rate's never gonna be 36. Just because of that sympathetic GABA or glutamate, like it's probably like low for you, like high 50s would be amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas where someone who's more GABA dominant or parasympathetic, low 30s is is very attainable. Yeah. So I think to say, well, this one's best is ignorant. Like, you know, if you're if you're sympathetic person like you know you're you're like fast brain alpha alpha male alpha female 60 beats a minute is fantastic Mm -hmm. you know those people will be like 80 or 90 sometimes and if that if you're starting getting above 75 we have a problem yeah yeah i think there's, there's important acknowledgments to be made there like if you're above 60 i would start paying attention to it above 72 you need to do something
1: yeah Okay. It's a good point though to it's it's important to track these things and be aware but also setting benchmarks for yourself personally not to compare it to somebody else because yeah like you said my heart rate's never going to be the same as you know, whatever, these like elite athletes or men or yogis or whatever. I'm, I'm a different person. I've got a different situation. So does everybody. So you just need to kind of monitor what you're doing.
0: Right. And if it's something you want to change, then change it. Right. You could. Yeah. you know, you know, you can take action. You just have to say, okay, what am I going to do? What, if this is important to me, what are the steps I need to take? And that's really why we're here. Right. It's like, I don't know what's important to you. I don't know what's important to anybody, but if if anyone's out there who has a question that wants to, that needs to be answered, we're here to provide the information and uh, perspective maybe on one, what to change, what's important to change, and two, how to change it. Yeah. Can so- you explain how to measure your HRV? I know the higher, the better, but how do I know I'm in, good, in a good shape? It's a pretty subjective question. Like, how do I know I'm in a good shape? It is very impossible to know without knowing everything else. So HRV is not necessarily an indication of being in good shape. It, what For me, it's a daily objective. It's a daily objective marker of today and comparing that against yesterday and the day before and the day before but as a foundation of health i don't want to say i don't want to say you're in good shape because you have high heart rate variability you could be very unhealthy and still potentially have higher heart variability not likely but it's possible so don't make necessarily make those synonymous how do we measure heart rate variability well the thing we're talking about here is an aura ring uh, you can check that out at AuraRing.com. ring.com how do you make it better as we spoke about earlier in this podcast, aerobic fitness is the foundation of it all. Sleep is massive. Grounding is massive. Getting outside, connecting with nature, getting out of these non-native EMFs. Breathing, meditations. So let's go through all it again. Breathe, walk, meditate, sunshine, sleep. Here's your five pillars.
1: Okay. Can you hear my stomach grumbling? The question you asked me at the beginning of this thing, what did you eat for breakfast? I didn't. I had coffee with Bob's MCT because I crush that now.
0: Um, (laughs) I credit for that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can. You can in this case, but yeah, I haven't eaten anything. Okay. But before we go, we got to talk about Blue Blocks for a hot minute because they've sponsored this podcast. They're
0: awesome. Andy over at Blue Blocks has become a great friend of ours, great friend of the podcast, great active member of the community Mm -hmm. and supporting everyone. And ultimately, like we say, getting rid of these non-native lights that are ultimately impacting our brains, impacting our ability to focus. If you haven't tried Blue Blocks in the past and you maybe feel a little bit of brain fog, you will definitively notice a difference. If you spend a lot of time on a computer, my kids and I, if we're watching television at night or go to the movies, they get angry with me for the first few weeks, but now they're over it. We're wearing red glasses because, yes, it blocks out all the colors, but I think it, it's a significant difference if you're measuring your uh, sleep data. You're going to see a big difference in you know the quality of sleep, so the deep, the REM, and you're going to get into sleep faster. So It's just going to prevent a dysregulated circadian rhythm. So if you're someone who is having a hard time with sleep, this would be a really good lever to pull if you're not willing to turn all the lights off in your house. If you're willing to turn the lights off in your house and turn off your your, your wifi and your EMFs, fine. You're probably gonna not need it. But if you're living in this advanced technological world like the rest of us, and you yeah. still wanna be a functioning member of society, you get to wear some cool red glasses while you're doing it.
1: Mm-hmm. And another thing, their sleep mask for- it's cool. It's like it's a completely different shape and design than I've ever seen before. But it's great for either those lucky dudes who have like Bambi eyelashes for some reason, because men always have long eyelashes. I don't know what that, that thing is. Or ladies who have their eyelash extensions that can't use because that's a thing, you know, maybe not in quarantine because no one can go get their stuff done. But a lot of ladies have these, you know, the and it looks like this and they can't put their eye mask on because they've got really long eyelashes. Looks so. like
0: the lift cars.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but these the the sleep mask is really cool because it's really like it's for and it's for people who you know are sensitive to like stuff touching their face when they're trying to sleep and whatever. So the way it's designed is it's almost sort of like soft goggles. So like you can still kind of open your eyes within the mask. They're a cool design. Yeah. Yeah,
0: especially for travel. And I know nobody's traveling now, but they were amazing when I was traveling. One last question that's going to take a second is grass fed versus grain fed, guys. I I think it it's it's not even an argument anymore, right? Like some people like oh, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. I'm firmly on the side of, of grass-fed, grass-finished. I don't think any ignorant, dogmatic zealot out there is going to change my mind on that one. It, it, there's pretty, pretty great evidence. And I'll tell you what I feel immediately if I have shitty grain-fed beef is heartburn, like almost right away. And I never, never in my life get heartburn, but I feel like a little bit of like unsettled um, acid reflux when I eat gra- crappy grain-fed beef. It's funny. I went out to a restaurant because they just opened restaurants, again, 25% capacity, so I don't got a steak. And I paid like $500 for dinner, and it was the shittiest, shittiest grass-fed, uh, sorry, grain-fed.
1: I mean, if you look at it, again, pragmatically, like, think about what animals are supposed to eat. That's going to optimize their health. These animals are supposed to eat grass. So. Yeah. The healthiest version of that animal is an animal that eats grass, and then we're going to eat that animal. We want to eat the healthiest version. I mean, it's just well,
0: healthy. just like what we eat becomes our tissues. Like your body just literally ter- turns it. Like I was just saying about the olive oil turning into my my cells. That's literally yeah. what's happening. So if you're eating grains, like and they eat soy and corn and crap, like man, that's just not right. So I, I would stay away from the grain fed.
1: Yeah, and if you follow um, our friend Anya there, the CEO, oh, of yeah, and like her personal Instagram, right? Anya, that's she. Awesome. She really explains very articulately why this stuff matters. So definitely give so her. A- I
0: think we gave away our code, and everyone's been using it because uh, they're like out of beef right now. I'm like Anya, Anya, hook your brother up. Yeah, um, yeah. I was trying to go. I was in there trying to buy steaks, so they're like, "Are we going to buy two steaks?" I was like, "Anya, you know, I need more than two steaks." <laughs> uh, but Belcampo 10-10. is amazing, and we have a code. Actually, you know, I think it's Bpak ten. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. it's B P A K ten one zero. And again, they're just giving you guys that. They don't, they don't sponsor us. They're just giving you guys that because they want to help people out during the corona and, and obviously increase their sales. But because they're doing it well, it's totally worth it. They're, that's, my, in my opinion, the best farming practice, certainly in, in America. Yeah, uh, I can't speak for anyone else in the world, but they've got some incredible standards. We're going to go out and visit this summer as soon as they open up and do a meat camp. If anyone else wants to join me, let us know. And we'll be announcing on the podcast, but I want to go out there with a small group of people and just walk through what they do. We'll probably bring a videographer, have some great meals, have Anya cook with us, teach us how to cook. I'm going to bring my kids out so we can spend a couple of days out on the farm. And it's the, if you guys haven't looked at it, it's maybe the most beautiful farm I've ever seen in my life. She's got 60,000 acres and it's the base of Mount something in Northern California. Shasta, Shasta. Yeah. And it's, it, it's an active volcano. My kids and I looked it up. It's amazing. So they're all excited about the meet camp. But anyways, yeah. guys, have a great day. We're so grateful for you being here. Thank you to Blue Blocks for sponsoring the episode. com. Use the code MUSCLE, get you 15% off. And we're super grateful for you being here. If you're the type of person who likes to help people and want to We want to build this community share this podcast with at least one person you know and love if you're not already subscribed go over and do that right now we link to it at least a few times a week in the instagram also in the facebook page subscriptions drive this show it allows us to appear higher in the itunes rankings get more listeners and then spread this amazing message we're so grateful for you guys being here we're grateful for your time Ashley. i'm grateful for you always having a smile always being awesome and showing off your guns appreciate it have a great day